Today's Friday edition of the Spot Track Recap is brought to you by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Believes in empowering professional athletes and entertainers with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about their finances and wealth. Learn more, go to morganstanley.com slash GSE, Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. Good morning. My name is Mike Giannetti, managing editor of SpotTrack.com. Just going to quickly breeze through a, a little week three of the NFL, heading into week four here. A couple of uh, semantical issues financially with a couple of players and the return of Melvin Gordon. We're going to get into a little bit of that, a little bit of baseball at the end of this with the uh, the farewell to the King last night in Seattle. But let's start off with Jalen Ramsey yet again. Um, the roller coaster ride continues in Jacksonville. Um, this guy's finding every excuse not to be around the team. And admittedly, last night, finally, that he's done. He uh, he doesn't believe in the franchise. He feels he's been wronged. Um, and contractually speaking, you can't argue with him. Look, at he's got a market value of almost $17 million on Trek right now, which easily makes him the highest paid cornerback in football. Um, and I think that's about right. I'm mean, look at the market needs to be reset in a lot of positions and cornerback is one of them. They've been sort of plateauing for a few years now since the Stefan Gilmore um, contract, most likely. So this is a player who sort of stands out. Yes, he's polarizing. Yes, he's, you know, got the wide receiver diva in him. No question. He likes to talk. He likes to get into it. And uh, he's putting his foot down like many of these wide receivers have been doing, quite frankly. So uh, we have to expect the trade at this point. Um, is he is he shooting himself in the foot with uh, you know the mouthing off a little bit and the and the public discontent for his team? Maybe you know maybe if it was two firsts and a second, maybe now it's one first and a second in terms of the value that Jacksonville can get. Um, but he uh, he's going to be out of town here sooner than later. So let's just talk about the numbers once again because now we're essentially into week four and it doesn't look like this trade is going to happen in the next forty eight hours. I could be wrong on that, but barring this thing gets through the weekend and he simply doesn't play because uh, his girlfriend is delivering their baby and he's, you know, that's a pretty good excuse to be away from a team, honestly, you know, outside of the fake illnesses and things like that he's put forth earlier in the week. But look at this is a guy who, you know, he's, he's making a total of 3.6 million this year. So if you're being traded in week five, which I can sort of assume that's the case, we're talking about the, the, the new team acquiring him at $2.7 million for the rest of this year. And then there's that $13.7 million fifth year option next year. So this is great value for anybody getting him right now, outside of the fact that you're giving up major draft picks to get him in the house. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to have to sign into a $17 million contract. So, you know, there's a lot to this, you know, you know his personality plus the, plus the price tag to get him in the house and then price tag to sign into the extension. You've got to really need this position. And there are teams that, that do need that. I know Dallas has been a big uh, talking point, but Look, financially speaking, they're going to have to struggle to make what they have work, right? I mean, there's a reason Dak isn't signed. There's a reason Amari isn't signed. There's a reason they haven't even started conversations with Byron Jones in their secondary with a contract who is a pretty important player to them, I would, I would imagine, from a depth standpoint. Those are three guys they most likely want to get done, and you probably can't you know, bring in a guy like Ramsey and, and sign him to $17 million along with all of that. So while there's a, there's a need and a fit there, I think a team like Seattle or Kansas City really gets involved. Um, and, and oh, by the way, let's not let's not sleep on this NFC North because this is going to be a dogfight division this entire season. And Jalen Ramsey is a guy who can make a difference in a secondary, and that's a, that's a pass-heavy division right now. So 
Uh, I wouldn't sleep on any of those NFC North teams. I know Detroit sort of has their secondary figured out, and they've got their own player player to pay in uh, Darius Slay. So maybe they're the the underdogs for this. But I I just think I've watched those teams enough now to say all of them sort of smell that division title early in the year, and I think a guy like this can push them over the edge. So keep an eye on those teams as well. But he's he's gone. There's no question Jacksonville is, is not long for Jalen Ramsey, and financially speaking, at least to start in 2019, it's going to be quite a value to get him. Uh, switching gears to a player who is coming back instead of leaving, Melvin Gordon has finally reported to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers who are struggling. They're sort of a shell of themselves right now. Uh, Philip Rivers on an expiring contract, sort of, you know, he's just sort of being Philip Rivers, right? I mean, the Keenan Allen situation is still good. They, I like the Mike Williams fit there. Are they going to be better with Melvin Gordon? Absolutely. The Austin Eckler situation is nice. The Justin Jackson situation is nice. It's better to have three than two. That's just the way this goes. He's coming back week four. I don't think he's going to play this week against Miami. So, you know, from a football standpoint, it's going to take a few weeks to get him back on the field. But financially speaking, it means he's going to make $4.6 million of a $5.6 million salary. So he's forfeited a million dollars to give himself a chance at 12 weeks to stay healthy instead of 16. Um, we'll see. We'll see what kind of impact he makes. Because if he does make a decent impact, look, look at Here's the situation. Yes, he's a little older. Um, and he's had more miles on, uh, on the tread. But if he comes back and really does make a difference, let's say he sort of takes this offense over again, which Los Angeles needs something to happen in that regard. We, we can't discount the fact that they don't give him an extension. I mean, what if they come to terms on something in the David Johnson market, right? About three for 39, three for 40, which is high. Um, but it's, that doesn't break your bank. The cap is rising extensively. Uh, you could certainly fit a player in like that. And, and, he, and here's, the, here's where this aligns. Yes, Melvin Gordon will be eligible for free agency now because he's back before week 10. So he, he's going to become a free agent, barring an extension in, in this season. But Austin Eckler is eligible for restricted free agency. And you have to imagine that if they don't get a deal done with him, there will be teams putting in offer sheets for him. I mean, that's the type of player that, that offer sheets are made for. So they're going to have to decide one way or another, in my opinion, who they're going to pay. Now, it seems like they're, they're leaning towards Eckler. Uh, but why doesn't he have a contract now? Right? Why isn't he, who has been the veritable starter now for for weeks, why isn't he complaining about the fact that he's eligible for for a pay? You know, certainly an increase in pay, um, and they've yet to do that either. Not to mention the the quarterback that needs to be paid. So the entire offense essentially is in flux. Keenan Allen's contract is is sort of on the backside of it now. Uh, the entire offense is sort of in flux. Hunter Henry is going to be a free agent. There's a lot of question marks with the Chargers heading towards 2020. And, and I just wonder what happens if Melvin Gordon comes back and this thing sort of glues itself together and they start to look great again. Um, it, 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 I'm just not going to discount the fact that Melvin Gordon might get paid at some point in the season. Um, so keep an eye on that. Like I said, he lost about a million dollars, not including the off-season fines for training camp and missed practices and things like that. Um, there was, there's plenty of, uh, of more dollars to be lost there. Uh, we will keep an ear out for if Los Angeles discounts those fines or completely waives them. I don't know that they'll completely waive the fine because in doing that, you're essentially weakening yourself for future holdouts, right? And there's been some holdouts in Los Angeles. So you've got to be careful about, you know, just sort of forgiving Melvin Gordon for what he's done here completely. I do imagine there'll be a significant discount because he is back week four. And I think a lot of us expected this to be week six or week eight. So 
Um, good news there for Los Angeles, like I said. But keep an eye out for the, for Melvin Gordon's production over the next couple of weeks because if he looks like the player, the X factor, essentially, then there could be money coming. All right, let's get to a story we've been talking about for months and months, unfortunately, and that's Antonio Brown. And I want to bring this up because there are some legal semantics that have come forward that are worth discussing with his contract in New England. Um, we're going to leave the Oakland part of this aside for now because we've sort of talked that to death. And quite frankly, Drew Rosenhaus and, and that camp hasn't really come out and said, we're going to go after the Oakland money, the guarantees that were voided. And my, my thinking with that is they probably know they don't have a, a, a strong fight there. He certainly was conduct detrimental to the team, which is enough to void the guaranteed money. All right. He didn't lose money, right? I mean, he, he didn't play any games there. So there wasn't salary paid out that he would have to forfeit or, or signing bonuses that he would have to forfeit because his signing bonuses were tied to workouts, which he didn't show up to. So there's, really no, there's very little footing for Antonio Brown and his camp to go back. Now, they might try. I mean, $30 million is $30 million. They might try. But I, as of right now, I haven't heard anything about Oakland and that money and the, and the arguments there. So we have heard... And we'll continue to hear about the New England side of this. Here's the, here's the situation. All right. The timing of his release and the fact that he played a game and was essentially on this roster for two weeks is a bad look for New England. Okay. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that New England knew about his situation before they signed him because I think that's, that's reckless. I don't think... New England signs him if that litigation is public and public knowledge. Okay. I don't think that happens. So they sign him. Uh, they, they give themselves a little bit of, of cash protection by spreading out the signing bonus into two installments, right? One of which was September 23rd and another one at the end of the season. That's your 9 million in two payments. They cut him two days prior to that first payment. All right. And after having him play a week on the offense, Here's the problem. In order to, it, it's, it's harder than a lot of you think to recoup a signing bonus in the NFL. The NFL PA has pretty rigid structure with this. And the CBA has language that pretty much says, you know, unless, you know, the, a truck runs through this, <laughs> my guy's keeping his money. Here's the four essential bullet points that come, come with recouping a signing bonus. A player refuses to report, practice, play right? Obviously, that's essentially the situation that happened in Oakland. He is unavailable due to craziness, okay? That he he was put in jail, something, he's unavailable to play because of some off-field incident, essentially. Or he's unavailable to play because of a non-football injury that essentially broke broke the contract, right? He went and you know, jumped off a hill on a a motorcycle and there's language in his contract that says he can't be riding motorcycles. Um, We've seen that before. Or the player voluntarily retires. Okay, those are essentially the four bullet points to say, all right, this guy's not worth the signing bonus even though it's guaranteed money. Here's the problem. None of those bullets are aligned with Antonio Brown's situation in New England. And like I said, the timing of when they released him two days prior to that cash payment is a very bad look. That's going to be very tough for the, for this court grievance. And this is going to be a year long grievance. Let's not make bones about that. This is, we're not going to get any, any kind of confirmation on this $9 million bonus until probably 2020, maybe mid 2020. This is going to take some time. It's going to go back and forth. Um, but it looks bad. So they cut him. They, they let him play a game. Then they cut him 
immediately before $5 million is due. To me, that's where New England's going to lose this battle. Um, if they keep him off the field, if they had cut him immediately after doing their diligence with the, uh, with the investigation and, the, and the, uh, you know, you know, everything that came up, text messages and all that, if they just say, we didn't know about this, we're not going to stand for this, he's out of here, in my opinion, and what I've been able to read in the CBA and the legal side of it, I think New England probably wins out. They're not paying him anything. Um, but because, they, because he, they welcomed him onto their roster, they gave him a week of practice and then put him out there for a week too. Because that happened and they embraced this essentially, you know, instead of putting him on an exempt, an exempt list or a restricted list, my, in my opinion, he became a part of that team and was warranted his $9 million bonus. I know there's a lot of people out there that don't, don't think he should get a dime. I'm just telling you contractually and from a CBA standpoint, I believe he will get his $9 million bonus because of everything we just laid out. So let's flip gears real quick to what the Patriots could have done and maybe should have done, but I'm not going to be too hard on the Patriots here. I've seen a lot of articles. I've, I've heard a lot of, uh, a lot of voices in the past couple of days that are killing the Patriots because of the structure of this contract. Let's remember I'm of the belief that the Patriots did not know any of this was, was out there. Any of this existed with Antonio Brown. Now, they knew the craziness. They knew what he did to get out of Oakland. They knew what he did to get out of Pittsburgh. They've seen the Instagram posts. They know all that, right? And, and in, essentially, they did build in some protections for that craziness, right? The, the installments, there are some weekly bonuses. They did a little bit to protect themselves. They didn't do enough. All right. And that's the point. And that's look at this is going to become a precedence for how, you know, these sort of comeback players are going to have to get contracts. It's this is going to become the precedence. The, the fact that there was a signing bonus of this significance at all in this contract is a problem. It was a, that was a mistake on, on New England's part. There was no need for that much upfront guaranteed money. Now, you can say there were four or five teams vying for him and there was sort of, there was a bidding war financially. Maybe. I, maybe that's the case, but look at, this is the new England Patriots. Okay. If anything, they should have been lowballing this contract with the, with the back end of saying, we're the Patriots, we're the Super Bowl favorites. You know, you can make a little money here and win and win a Super Bowl with us and then go on from here. But they, uh, they not only sold that pitch, but also sold a $9 million bonus up front. So what they should have, and certainly could have done is built all of the dollars into a per week basis, all of them. That way your, your, your salary and your per week bonuses, they're going to be big bonuses, of course. I mean, you could have made them, you know, $1.5, $2 million a week if you had to, uh, you know, to that degree to make this a $15 million contract at the end of the day. But had they gone that route and made this a fully per week basis bonus? Now, that's not something players are going to be easily agreed to with injuries and all of that. Um, and and you, you, you probably have to build in some injury protection because you're not, wor- you're, not, you're not writing up a contract with that in mind. You're writing up this contract with the crazy in mind, okay? So you just need to protect yourself from the crazy. If the injuries happen, you're probably okay paying this guy out because he's giving you what he can give you. Um, but to me, that's the, that's the mistake that was made. But like I said, I'm not going to kill him for it because they weren't, they weren't writing this contract with this in mind. They were writing the contract with the crazy in mind. So they thought they were doing enough. Clearly they haven't. And like I said, because of all these bullet points we've laid out, I don't think Antonio Brown has failed as a obliging member of this contract. 
to the point of where he will lose out on the $9 million. So it might take some time. Like I said, we're talking mid-2020, probably after lit- litigation is all done. But I do think he winds up with $9 million from New England after this. And, and this will become an example. This will become a serious example of how teams, especially teams of this caliber, really need to protect themselves contractually when you're getting into these kind of situations. All right, let's, let's end on a happier note. King Felix Hernandez, Seattle Mariners pitcher for 14 years. Um, one of the greats, certainly one of the greats. And, and it's, I know it's sort of tough to see him in his current state. The last four years have been tough. Injuries, age, everything's sort of catching up to him. But man, this guy slayed on the mound and he slayed contractually. <laughs> All right. 14 years, $221 million over those 14 years. Uh, he's walking away a happy man. He's only 33, but you know, when you make that kind of dough and the body's breaking down, it's a pretty easy decision to say, I'm done. He got a swan song last night. He got a really nice ovation in Seattle for his final start. Um, and he put up a little gem out there. So it bounced around a little bit, you know, from a production standpoint, the past five years, really, it was sort of, there was a, there was a slow gradual slide in his career here. And, uh, you know, baseball standpoint, it was a tough finish, but he, uh, he, he means a ton to that city. He's a, he's a figure of that city, and uh, it's pretty cool that he stayed with one team for his whole career. I, I always like those stories. But $221 million, that ranks fourth active all-time in terms of earnings and all-time career earnings. He's currently 10th. Now, he's going to get blown away by a ton of these younger guys, obviously. You know, the game has certainly changed since he joined the league 14 years ago. But he is uh, currently 10th, right behind Joe Maurer, right ahead of Adrian Beltre, a couple of guys who retired this past year. And uh, that's, not a bad, uh, that's not a bad little 14-year run. So good for him, good for Seattle, uh, giving him his due here to finish it out. And uh, we'll see what happens with these young kids now. There's, uh, there's plenty of money coming in baseball, especially on the mound. This is a big, big pitching free agent class. They're Garrett Coles and your Madison Bumgarners and your Zach Wheelers and maybe your Steven Strasburg. So keep an eye out for that. But... Happy trails to Felix Hernandez and $221 million. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's recap. We'll be back next Friday, and we'll be back this Tuesday with our regular Spot Track podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, empowering professional athletes and entertainers with the knowledge they need, like Antonio Brown and his camp this week, to make informed decisions about their finances, their wealth, and what they should be earning. Learn more at morganstanley.com slash GSE. We'll see you soon.